0: Hey everyone my name is Michael Kaiser and I'm John Wilson and welcome to another
1: special of not comics this is our what is this fifth special now Mike I think it's our sixth whoa I probably should look at that number before we started that would have been a good thing to do well but it's yeah either
0: five or six so look
1: at the title this <laughs> is where we uh, go in each month and talk about something that's not comics hence the name and last month we talked about doing maybe the Hulk this month and we still have plans for that but that's going to be later instead today we're talking about uh, a movie that kind of has a really big important role in marvel history as a as a company and as a place in the public consciousness and that is iron man from 2008 yay iron man the one that kicked it all off and so we uh, we decided to bring on as as our guest this month someone who um I know as having a deep knowledge and love of Iron Man and also the Avengers as a whole having you know written a couple of books on the subject and I'd like to welcome to the show or we would like to welcome to the show Mr. Van Allen Plexico hello sir
2: hey I'm glad to be aboard guys appreciate you inviting me yeah thanks for doing this
1: yeah. so um what uh what is your history with with Iron Man
2: ha, it goes back a, a couple of minutes um Um, I remember all the way back in the third grade, way back in the mid-70s for me, I remember seeing uh, one of the Marvel lunchboxes, and it had all the different, like Thor and Spider-Man, everybody on it, and one panel was just Iron Man flying, and I remember thinking, wow, who is this character that looks like a statue? I wonder if he's like a real man, or he's like a robot, or is he an animated statue, and can he actually fly? And I, I knew nothing about him, and then when I was on vacation in Florida that year, uh, I picked up off the rack one of my first comic books, one of my first superhero comics, Iron Man number 96, where he fought Ultimo in Washington, D.C., and I fell in love. I just absolutely loved it, and so I started buying Iron Man then, and I've on and off bought Iron Man for 40-plus years, and, um, and, I, and he's just always been my favorite superhero character.
1: So when it when it came down to ten years ago, or I guess twelve years ago, we started hearing about this movie. What was uh, what were some of your experiences moving towards and, and, and the, the debut of the film?
2: Um, I, I expected it would be horrible. Uh, Marvel <laughs> Marvel had a terrible track record of ruining everything I loved for all time up until then, and uh, you know we had just had the first Hulk movie and it wasn't great, and um, Marvel on TV was pretty terrible. There's whole chapters in our assembled books about <laughs> about the terrible Marvel TV shows of the 70s and early 80s and all, um, including the Captain America and Spider-Man shows that were pretty pretty wretched. Um, but I was excited that they were at least going to use him, even though the reason they were going to use him is they'd sold the rights to all the characters they wanted to use, and so they had to kind of go back into the B-list. You know, people forget that Iron Man was at best a B-list character until this oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, and I mean, because I, here's the, here's the way I know that. All my childhood, I wanted Iron Man toys, and there were no Iron Man. There, were, there was there was the Mego action figure, and guess what? They made it the year Iron Man had a nose. So the <laughs> so the Iron Man Mego has a nose. I'm like ah, and so I, I, there were hardly any toys, t-shirts, anything like that. So, you know, you, back then you could get a Hulk shirt, you could get a Captain America, you could get Spider Man. Um, those were the big ones. But you couldn't get Iron Man to save your life. So it was. I, I, I've been, I, I always say I've been with Iron Man through the thick and the thin, and there was a whole lot more thin <laughs> than there has been thick up until recently. I mean, I was, even, I, I was even with him during Civil War when he was the biggest villain in the Marvel Universe, and I just had to deal with it, you know?
1: If I remember like early in his comics, like in the late 70s, didn't it go bi-monthly and almost get canceled?
2: Um, a lot of Marvels did. I'm not sure Iron Man ever got that far down, but certainly X-Men did and some others did. So if there, if there was a period, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't remember that, but I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of my impressions of Iron Man in the, in the modern history is that the, he was a B-list character, but yeah. he was packaged with Thor and Captain America, if I understand the story right. And so they started making movies of all three of those guys, and Iron Man suddenly became this thing that I could wear an iron man (laughs) shirt to college and my middle-aged professor would know the face on my (laughs) shirt and that was weird that was very strange
0: i would and i would argue that you know cap was probably a b lister too because that was my guy growing up and it was the same experience that Mm. that you had van like you know you're there's maybe like one toy every three years to buy or something like that yeah um And any time I wore a cap shirt, someone would inevitably ask me if that was Superman for some odd reason. I don't know why to this day. Just because they're both blue, I guess. Um, And now, of course, you can go to Walmart and there's like, you know, sections of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Mm -hmm. and every kid is wearing a S.H.I.E.L.D. shirt. And it's just – it blows my mind because when I was growing up, yeah, nobody knew who the heck these guys were unless it was Spider-Man or Hulk because they had the cartoons. Yep. Yeah. Spider
1: Man and Hulk, um, the X-Men, of course, eventually really big ever since X-Men. the X Men oh, yeah.
0: Eventually the X-Men. In comic world, X-Men was very popular, but like, yeah, until the movies came out, I don't think, you know, your standard audience member knew what an X-Men was. Right. Well, it's it's
2: here's the thing. I have always had a terrible resentment toward the X-Men because all the way through the late seventies and through the eighties, I was an Avengers and Iron Man fan, and they were bigger in the Marvel universe than the X-Men. And then You know, round about the mid-late 80s, early 90s is when the X-Men really took off and became this comic book phenomenon. But you're absolutely right. The general public didn't know who they were at all because they had no previous history like a Spider-Man or a Superman or a Batman or, you know, anybody like, or or Hulk. And so the comics world was just absolutely X-Men crazy by the 90s. And then they got the cartoon, and that made it even bigger. But then, yeah, by the time they got their movie in 2000, that put them over the top. But see, that always made me mad because I felt like they jumped the Avengers to get there. I felt like <laughs> yeah. they kind of shoved the Avengers out of the way and pulled ahead the of them. I'm like, hey, come on, the Avengers deserve this more than you do. So. <laughs> So it was kind of a very, very happy thing for me in the late 2000s when the X-Men started to kind of fade in popularity a little bit and the and the Avengers-type characters pulled ahead. That made me very, very happy <laughs> at last.
1: Yeah, I don't think X-Men has had as big a level in the popular consciousness right. as, like, the X-Men X2 years. Like, since then, they've, they've still been making movies, but I don't think that the the world at large is as crazy about them now as they were then but now the marvel movies now the avengers movies are all Mm. all up there absolutely way
0: ahead yeah
1: yeah so i um i was not reading comics when this movie came out i had uh i was reading star wars comics but i had not collected superhero comics in over a decade Mm. and so as we're approaching the iron man movie this is sort of like you know Going back into my into like dark parts of my soul that I hadn't looked at in a while and, and started to stir interests. So one of the one of the upshots of going to see this film is that I was like I've I've never read Iron Man comics before. So I went and I got the first couple issues of Invincible Iron Man Moron stands. I picked those up. Um, I went and got uh, the DVD from GetCorp that collected you know. Tales of Suspense and Iron Man up through the Civil War years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went and got that and started reading through those. And it was reading those comics. And then seeing the Avengers and wanting to go read the Avengers. So I got hold of those and then remembering my first love was Spider-Man and going to read those and then thinking, you know, I should check out some DC. I read a lot of Batman when I was a kid. So I'm going to give Superman a try. I've always been interested in him and starting to read that. And that's what got me back into superhero comics. But it started that's with the Iron Man film. That's awesome. Um, Mike, do you have any uh, experiences of going to see the Iron Man film? Any memories from it?
0: Yeah. Um, Well, as I probably mentioned a million times on this show, I I was a Captain America fan. I've mentioned it at least three times on this episode. And (laughs) growing up in the 80s, I really did not like Iron Man, I have to confess, because he was always screwing over my character. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Armor Wars, he betrayed him. Galactic Storm, he betrayed him. And I was young enough to not just find that, like, awesome, fun dramatic stories It actually kind of angered me about the character. Sure. Like, they were always talking about what brothers they were and what friends they were, but then Tony would just stab him in the back whenever, you know, he wasn't looking. So, that combined with the fact that I think Spider-Man 3 and X-Men 3 came out right before Iron Man, if I have my dates right. I was pretty soured on mm. the idea of a Marvel movie, and also Dark Knight was coming out, and I'm a Batman fan, and that looked really fun in the trailers and stuff, so... I remember not really caring, but of course I went anyway because this is back when you go to every right. superhero movie because there are, there's not that many, right? You go to Steel if you have to, right? Yes. Um <laughs> Yeah, you
2: take what you get and you're thankful that's for right. it because it's all you get. I never get. saw
0: Steel. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I ended up going, long story short, and I think I, li- I ended up liking Iron Man so much more than I liked The Dark Knight, which just completely blew my mind. <laughs> I walked out of Iron Man just feeling like, in love with superheroes again in a way that I hadn't felt in like a long time. Cause by that point I wasn't really collecting, you know, as much as I had been and stuff. And yeah, they just really like uh, hit you on all the right points with that movie. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was very exciting. I just remember really loving it.
1: Vin, what were your, uh, what were your first impressions of the film?
2: I was delighted. I, I thought that the, the thing that I make, now, well, let me, let me back up. I, this is. I have very mixed feelings about this, and I'm going to see if I can put them into words properly. In the Avengers, the character that the character that uh, Robert Downey Jr. plays in the Iron Man and Avengers movies is 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 Hawkeye, not Iron Man. He's mm-hmm. he's being Hawkeye. So what the Marvel movies did was take the character, the personality, basically of Hawkeye, and give that to Tony Stark. I defy anybody to go back and read any Iron Man appearance in any comic before 2008 and show me a smart elicky, wise-cracking Tony Stark. He's just not. He's a straight-era, straight shooter. I mean, he's not Bruce Wayne, for crying out loud, but he's he's not, you know, (laughs) He's not Peter Parker or Clint Barton either. He was just a very vanilla, bland guy. I liked him, but I liked him better in the armor. Whereas in the movies, with Downey bringing that Hawkeye personality to Iron Man, suddenly he's got, he's got the Iron Man coolness and he's got that personality coolness. So it was interesting to see the character have two appealing sides to him, whereas in the comic, he'd always just kind of been a boring character in the, so in the, in the, in the human side. So So I guess to sum it up, Really, I was kind of put off in a way that it wasn't my Tony Stark, but I could also appreciate that it was a much better Tony Stark, so I just kind of dealt with it, you know?
1: It is, this is the movie version of Tony. It's different than my Tony, but it's, it's a Tony.
2: And, but, it's, but it's an appealing one, and clearly people were digging it, and I'm like, look, if this is what it takes to make Iron Man super popular, then I'm on board. You know, I'll, I'll just deal with it. That's fine. If he wants to be wisecracking and smart-alecky and all that... Uh, that's that's my new Iron Man. Okay, we'll just you know, we'll just deal with it. So that was that was fun.
1: Yeah, the the, the Clint Bartonish aspects of his character also I, I mean, I, I noticed that whenever it was mm. in the Avengers and he and Captain America were relating to each other for the first time. I was like, wait a second, he's pulling a lot of the same wisecracks that mm. Hawkeye did exactly. in the late Stanley, early um Roy Thomas comics. That's exactly right.
2: But again, I mean it's not a bad thing. It's just that's the direction they decide to go, and I mean, Iron Man was always going to be a bigger character than Hawkeye in the movies. So, what the the, the one thing that they really did though that was the, the the sad part of that is that Hawkeye has no personality in the movies because he's he's been had his personality given to Iron Man, and all he's got left is his bow and arrow and like references to past things with Black Widow. I mean, I like Jeremy Renner, but I mean, bow ring, you know, not
0: a not a very yeah. exciting Hawkeye. He's much more like Ultimates Hawkeye or something.
2: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: yes, you're um, right. And I feel like Downey's is not maybe not so much Hawkeye as just Robert Downey Jr. because yeah. that's just kind of how he is. So that's fair. He just brought himself to the role, yeah. and we we all find him very charismatic. So it mm-hmm. worked. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Like, I, and I don't really even think about that. That there's definitely a before and after Iron Man when it comes to this movie, mm-hmm. in terms of personality, or Tony Stark, I should say, right, in terms of personality.
1: Yeah, I um I started reading comics whenever this came out. So I was I was there with that Invincible Iron Man series was going and a secret invasion. That was the summer of Secret Invasion. So that was just getting underway whenever the movie came out. So I went and got the first couple issues of that. And um and yeah, the Tony Stark in that is not the wisecracker that he is here. I think the Invincible Iron Man had more of that tone. And the plot of that opening arc of that comic was very, like, visually reminiscent of the movie. So it was definitely going to reach that movie-going audience. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't read a whole lot of Iron Man from before that, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. Right. And now it's basically just the Tales of Suspense run. I'm still working on getting some of those other 70s and 80s comics read. Well, um, I think it's time we talk about some movie. Um, I was watching this and just writing down thoughts as it went along. And I re- I ended up writing down a lot of things, mm. so I'm going to try not to not to hit every single thing I wrote down and, and try to call what's maybe not worth bringing to the microphone. But um, I figure we could just kind of go through the events of the movie as they happen and thoughts about scenes and memories and whatever that that you think about. And if I'm talking too much, feel free to just interrupt me and and jump in about something. Um, but oh, there's one other thing I, sh- I should mention here, and that is that. This is the movie that I took my daughter to, the first superhero movie I took my daughter to. She was six, and uh, she was a little bit bored in spots because Iron Man doesn't even show up until an hour hour into the film. Right. Um, right. And even after he does that first test flight, it goes back to being a Tony Stark movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think she was a little bit bored in in spots, but we have seen pretty much every MCU movie together since then (laughs) for the last ten years. So that's been her and my thing that we share. And we did that Avengers podcast a few years ago. It was inspired by the same thing. So, but this is where it all started. Um, that's awesome. I hadn't seen much Robert Downey Jr. before this. And when the opening scene comes up, and he's talking to the, to the fanboys and girl about his, you know, how cool he is. He comes off a lot younger than I found out he is. And I don't know if he's like dyeing his hair and making everything look young, but he comes off being like 40 ish. And I think he's 50-ish whenever he's filming this movie. I'm not entirely
2: sure. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's been around a while. He was making movies back in the early 80s, you know, when
0: he was probably in his 20s or whatever. So that would make sense. He looked much fake younger than I remembered. Like, you could kind of tell, like, the beard was a dye job and stuff. They, they go a little more natural with his face as these movies progress, I guess.
3: Hmm.
0: I hadn't seen this movie in a while. And I was like, wow, they really, like, slapped the makeup on him or something. Hmm. But,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think they allow him to look a little bit older in the later films, which gives him a more natural look because he definitely does look made up in this. And maybe it's the high def versus the slightly grainy theater experience. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so I thought this had an, a perfect opening scene. You get the, um, the, you know, the, the uh, airmen are sort of fanboying out about uh, Tony Stark, <laughs> and you get a real good feel for the tone of the character And then, boom, there's drama and flashback. Um, But that gripped me right in.
0: Yeah, it's one of those times when, like, you know, telling something out of order really works well. And it's not just to be confusing or, you know, to hide something. It's like, let's start with a really funny piece of dialogue immediately following his chest getting ripped open. And then let's go backwards to something a little more low-key.
2: And one thing about Iron Man in general that works really well like this ...is that, you know, originally it was Vietnam, or at least it was Southeast Asia, you know, they weren't too specific in 1963, but everybody knew it was Vietnam, because we hadn't really gotten, you know, we didn't have boots on the ground in Vietnam yet, this was two years before, and so um, it happened, he was fighting Wong Chu in, in basically Vietnam... And the, the great thing about Iron Man is since the United States is perpetually at war somewhere, you just make it a different war and you bring it right <laughs> up to date. So instead of Southeast Asia, it's Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever. And you just, um, it doesn't, you don't you know, instead of a, instead of a jungle, it's a desert, you know, instead of a warlord and a Vietnamese warlord, it's a, an, a, a terrorist warlord, you know, so it, um, you can you can basically make Iron Man fit any time. I mean, that's different from, like, Captain America, who's always stuck to World War II, you know. I mean, it, it, Which is, is also great. This is what's so fascinating to me, is that Captain America today is basically Buck Rogers, because he's, like, you know, 70 years removed from his time. But when Captain America first came out of the ice in the comics, it had only been, like, 15 years. He didn't miss all that much.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah,
0: he still had friends who were alive yeah. and stuff, you know. Yeah, so... Um, I think when john and i covered the origin of iron man we kind of gushed about how this movie actually pretty much follows it Mm -hmm. i mean obviously like you said they had to change the war but i think when i was going in if i recall correctly i was convinced they weren't going to follow it because it kind of seemed to be like one of those like an ff origin where it was just going to be outdated and they're going to have to come up with something else oh boy yeah so i was really um surprised and happy that they they kept it pretty much the way it should be
1: yeah, other than the national setting and a few, you know, environmental details, I mean, they they, they hit every single plot beat, and yeah, I, I had already felt because, I mean, Spider-Man, they they hit you know the most important things, but a lot about that origin was you know kind of modified. And this, when I did read Tales of Suspense Thirty Nine within you know a few days or weeks of seeing this, I was like, wow, this comic is exactly what I saw on TV, just. Not quite as racist as it was with Wang Chu, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was no wrestling, so <laughs> no wrestling. Yeah, no uh,
0: no and yelling no, at the peasants and terrorizing them. No transistor powered suction cups. Yeah. I mean, I felt really denied about that, but. <laughs>
2: I don't know that that armor he had in the movie, the first one, it could have had some transistor-powered suction yeah. cups in there. I'm not sure. I don't that's know what true. it had. It looked like a it looked like a dishwasher and a washing machine bolted together or something. But but I mean that's how it was in the comics too. You know that the, the big gray armor that was pretty cool. I mean you know what it is that this movie is the first one, but it's the first one where we really saw that that the that the MCU. Was gonna go out of their way not to change things. They were trying to be. This is what's always fascinating me. They they make things visually the same, even when they don't really have to. You know, they didn't have to do that, but they did. Mm. They didn't have to make Thanos look the way he did. They didn't have to make Ronan look the way he did. They didn't have to have Rocket Raccoon. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They they're going out of their way to be very. faithful to the comics when there really is no reason to other than just hey that's cool they did you know and, and I appreciate that and they and they did that in a this was the first movie where we really saw you know what they're gonna bring the Marvel Universe to movies and it's gonna look
0: like the Marvel Universe and that was awesome as opposed have, to like not to bash on the x-men franchise because I do like some of it but, but right you know, the x-men x-men right out of the gate you know they're all wearing black yep. Wolverine's a founding member yeah. you know uh yeah. Colossus is American for some reason. You know, they really just changed a lot of stuff. Whereas with this, with this MCU, it's like they're trying much harder to stay faithful to the original sources. And I think people appreciate that. I do, yeah.
1: Yeah, we had the Mark One armor, and like in the comics, he loses that and gets the red and gold armor. But in the process of making the red and gold armor, you had the gold only armor briefly. So that's sort of like a nod to that period where he had painted his Mark one armor, all golden. And so it, it, it gave us a visual, you know, at least nods to that history, which is really cool. Of course, in those old comics, you know, the, the big, you know, less streamlined armor, they never really talk about it being big and heavy until it's time to switch to the new red and yellow (laughs) Ditko armor. But in, later stories I was like oh remember that big old heavy armor I used to carry wow that was such a such a and this movie really conveyed that is a big old like legged tank that you're that you're driving around (laughs) it
0: did yeah he's he's not going to fold that like pants and put it in a suitcase (laughs) that's (laughs) right
2: oh I love the suitcase armor that was great that was great oh yeah
0: I'm really happy they did that in some form
2: (laughs) yeah right
1: well, it's cool they 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 did the nod to it in the second film, yeah, yeah, but it's one of those things that like take off this armor and suddenly it's fabric and folds up nicely in your suitcase that doesn't really make sense to me. Yes, but it's comics, us. so it doesn't have <laughs> to.
0: neither neither of us like that, but I hope we hope it's going away soon.
2: You, you know the one scene they did in the comics in that period that I'm surprised because it's such a visually impressive sequence. I'm just real quick that I'm surprised they haven't done is there was one issue where the bad guys threw Tony. They thought it was Tony. Then it was Iron Man off the helicarrier, and he's falling, and he changes into the armor out of his briefcase as he's falling, and he like f- zooms back up like two inches before he hits the ground, and goes back up to fight him. And I thought that's a really visual, great moment. I'm surprised they haven't found a way to use that yet. Well, they sort of did that in Avengers
0: when he got thrown out the window by Loki. He had the watch yeah. that had that had like the thing fly after him, and it. Suited him up and then he That's right. Didn't,
1: that's right. Didn't
0: squash right. anybody, but yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the suitcase. But dramatic
1: no, suit changes they are something they definitely try to get a lot of as they go along. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um okay, so um Pepper in this movie, we haven't talked about her yet. I, I I feel like she is extremely delightful throughout. I'm glad they gave her a lot to do, especially in the second half of the film. And the first scene entails a suspense, which Mike and I have read and recorded about, but has not aired yet, our episode about. But her first scene entails a suspense. The first thing she does is insult Happy Hogan. Oh. So she doesn't really endear herself immediately to the reading public. But I thought this, like she has that barbed tongue when she needs to, but I, it's written in much more of a sympathetic way, like, you know, taking out the trash with the woman who. Tony's just stuck with and thinks that she can insult Pepper.
0: I didn't, I not really, I confess that I hadn't read or probably still haven't read a lot of Iron Man in his solo work. I've known Iron Man through Avengers and most Avengers I know through Avengers. I don't really read their solo stuff cause it's probably not as interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've heard of Pepper Potts obviously. And I, so I knew of her, but I didn't know anything about her or whether, um, wow. What's her name? I just totally blanked. The The blonde. What's the actress's name? Oh, Gwyneth oh, Paltrow. Um. Gwyneth Paltrow. I didn't know if Gwyneth Paltrow was like nailing the character or not, but I liked her in the movie for sure. She plays off well against Downey, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s like, uh, you know, more aloof sensibilities. Like she has to manage his life yeah. and just suffer this toddler kind of. <laughs> um, well, the the, yeah, the very, very entertaining. The the
2: thing for me when I started reading Iron Man. Uh, with issue number ninety six, that was when they had pretty much brought the whole Tony Pepper thing to an end because it was a love triangle where where um um what's his name? The the boxer, the chauffeur.
1: Happy Hogan. Happy, Happy Hogan. I'm sorry. I was
2: blanking out. Yeah. Happy pursued Pepper. Pepper pursued Tony. And Tony pursued Happy? <laughs> I love this was the 1960s, yeah. so probably not. But um, <laughs> but that was the thing, right? Was that that. Happy liked Pepper, but Pepper didn't like Happy. She liked Tony. That's like you know, that's that's all comics were doing that kind of a storyline back then. And Mm -hmm. so Tony just was always having different glamorous girlfriends. He never had any time for Pepper. And so in the issue where I started, is where basically Pepper told Tony that she was she had married Happy and were going they were going off together to get away from Tony's from Stark International. So I didn't come into it with with there any romance between Pepper and Tony, it was always Pepper and Happy. And so it was neat to me to see the movie kind of go back to the beginning and have Pepper with Tony. Now, the other side of that, though, is... Tony's always been like in the comics has always been like James Bond, you know, he has a different glamorous girlfriend every every so often. And so because it's Gwyneth Paltrow, they're obviously keeping her around as long as they can, which means we have Pepper as basically his steady girlfriend as long as we have. I have a feeling if it hadn't been somebody of a major star like Gwyneth Paltrow if they had just picked any random actress to play Tony's girlfriend whoever she was in the first Iron Man movie I think we would have seen like five different Iron Man girlfriends by now because there's so many good ones there's Bethany Cabe there's Rumiko Fujikawa um, there's the like I think it's Janice Cord, the one that's psychic there's you know there's a bunch he's had a lot of really cool girlfriends up you know good and bad really oh Madame Mask you know um, Whitney Frost and so There have been so many good ones and interesting ones, but I think that having Gwyneth Paltrow and her doing, admittedly, a very good job with it and being entertaining has kind of kept us from getting to see any of the other Tony Stark girlfriends,
0: which I'm kind of bummed about, honestly. I'm surprised she's still in it because I kind of felt like when they, you know, off-camera broke up in Avengers 2, I think, I thought maybe that was because Gwyneth didn't renew contracts or something, just like sort of Jane Foster disappears. Yeah, me too. And betty ross disappears and all that and but then all of a sudden she's back and they're engaged and it's like wow we're just going to keep going so that's interesting it was yeah
1: it was civil war that they like were were broken off oh off, off right right civil war, oh, okay. civil war and then yeah. she's back in spider-man homecoming which is like the direct sequel to civil war so who yeah. knows um i did feel like that i mean we, we we've talked about this this a little before it, i feel like that side of iron man's storyline could have been addressed more but it's also kind of like the um you have the team book versus the solo book and Gwyneth Paltrow might show up in Avengers in a panel or two, because that's what's going on in Iron Man's life right then. But why they got back together would only be talked about in the Iron Man book. Sadly, however, there are no Iron Man movies going on right now to address that question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I, I was going to ask you uh, van about uh, Pepper's history in the comics. Cause I kind of felt like she might be sort of um, how Vicky Vale was, not really a part of Batman's life When the 89 movie came out And then suddenly she was brought back in the comics Because she was in the movie Right. And so now Pepper's like a big part of modern Iron Man I, I, I think, last I checked I haven't checked in a while But um, but I'm guessing she wasn't for a while there
2: Oh, for tw- 20 years at least Yeah, she and Happy ran off together In the late 70s And I don't remember seeing her again uh, For a long time Not in the 80s, not in the 90s Um yeah, she was gone. I mean, he had he had other girlfriends. I mean, I thought Bethany Cabe was fantastic. That's the one that that um David Michelinie and Bob Layton you know brought in. She was a bodyguard, and so it was very glamorous, very James Bond, you know, she was like this athletic martial arts lady. And then, you know, Rumiko Fujikawa was the one that was there during the Kurt Busick run and around that era, much more recently. And so, yeah, Pepper just never really had any part. She was, she was, see, I mean, she was very much a 60s character in the sense that she's the, she was kind of like Lois Lane pining after Superman or something. She was the, she was the secretary that was in love with her boss and her boss didn't notice her, you know? And that's a, that's a story you see a lot in the 60s in comics. But after the 70s, you, you, they, they kind of got away from that trope, you know? And, and because it, because it made all the women look like, um, Miss Money Penny and James Bond, you know, where they're right. they're always like, oh, you know, oh Tony, oh no, they're not, not today, Pepper, you know, and out the door, you know. So, yeah, they she had her time, but this this Pepper Potts we have today is a, basically a completely different character, completely different character, and that's fine because she's a good character.
0: Well, I guess the benefit of having you know three four hundred issues, you could date a lot of different girlfriends, and <laughs> yeah. we only have like. Five, six, 7, 10, 12 movies. That's true. So, like, I really want Captain America to date Diamondback at some point, but essentially he's going to die and never get past the Carters. So, oh well. <laughs> That's, That's just the way it
1: is, I it guess. Is.
0: That's good.
1: I too date my um, dead girlfriend's grandnieces. <laughs> right? Super oh. hot. Right. Oh. Um, so. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, before we move on from Pepper, I do have to say that the best thing was that? Nothing. Mm-hmm. There might have been a delay there. Sorry about that. But the, mm-hmm. the best thing I could – or the one thing I want to say about Pepper before we go on is that she did a great job running from a monster in three-inch heels at the end of there. I think that's probably a superpower, and that was pretty impressive.
0: That <laughs> was, yes. So she's involved with uh, – and I don't know if you want to bring this up as a different topic, but I'm going to ruin that for you. She's involved with um, Agent – what's his face in Coulson. this movie? Folsom. Colson. Colson. Yeah. What did I say? Folsom? S- son Folsom of Cole. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't know if I'm the only stupid one here, probably, but I didn't see S.H.I.E.L.D. coming. I admit it. I'm just going to admit it. I shouldn't admit it, but I do.
1: Oh, yeah. When you, when totally.
0: We... Totally got surprised by that. The first time he said
2: where he was from, it wasn't Supreme Headquarters, International Espionage, Law Enforcement Division, and it wasn't Strategic Hazard, whatever the crap they made up later when they changed it. It was neither one of those. It was a third thing. And he said it really fast. I'm from something, 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 something. And the very first time, and I'm sitting there and I go, huh. Huh. Oh, it took me a couple of it took me a couple of seconds, but I got it after he said it. Just looking at him. No, I just thought he was some bureaucrat or something. So no, I didn't get it till he said, just call a shield.
0: And I was like, Oh, how come I didn't (laughs) notice that?
1: Oh, well. I don't remember exactly when I got it but I'm pretty sure it was pretty soon after the first thing he, time he said the Strategic Homeland Intervention Equipment Logistics Division maybe <laughs> equipment logistics
3: yeah
2: <laughs> well right because you you because your first thought is that's a really long name why would they have a yeah. name that long and wait it starts with S H O you know what I mean uh-huh. you, you the pieces kind of come together when you really Think about the fact that they would not have a name that long if it was just some random, you know, division of something.
1: It's like Grant Ward says in the first episode. It means that somebody wanted our name to spell Shield. <laughs> yes,
2: that's pretty much it. Yeah, because they keep changing yeah. it. It's had like three different meanings. This is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I remember. I remember being surprised by that on Wikipedia because I was, you know, reading about Marvel after this movie came out and looking up Shield online, and yeah, it's had three or or, or four or maybe ten different meanings.
2: <laughs> right. And there was that whole period that fought Godzilla, but, but that's a whole other thing. So.
1: <laughs> I love the Godzilla comics. Oh, um, so there's one th- weird thing about this is that, I mean, this is the first Marvel film. So everything feels new and everything's being introduced. But the way that Coulson does the whole like strung out name and then at the end, you know, we, we, we figured out we're going to call ourselves S.H.I.E.L.D. And she's like, oh, good job making it shorter or whatever. It feels like S.H.I.E.L.D. is new it feels like it's a relatively new thing. Mm-hmm. And of course we see Nick Fury and he's the director of shield, whatever that means at the time. But we have since, as the history of the MCU been, has been developed, shield's been around for a while. Right. Shield's been around um, since at least the eighties. Cause that's when ant man and the wasp were active and um, they're headquartered in the Triskelion. So even though they're supposed to be this super secret organization that nobody knows about, they've got a headquarters out in the bay and um and they're descended from the ssr back in the 40s and 50s so is shield really that super secret i don't know is it very old or very new i don't know
0: this is where we're gonna have to ask or we're gonna have to start giving out some no prizes to listeners because <laughs> i don't have an answer for you there other than you know bad continuity i guess
2: it's like James Bond is the super secret agent thing, and yet everybody knows about it there's um the 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 thing obviously is that when they when they filmed and wrote iron when they wrote and filmed Iron Man the first movie, they were making a lot of it up as they went along, and you know, for example, we know that he revealed himself at the end to be Tony Stark to be Iron Man on the spur of the moment, and they decided to keep it, and it worked and so they were making a lot of this up as they went along, and what they had to do, of course, was then change things later <laughs> once they realize you know we kind of need shield to have been around for a while so oh well just ignore everything that you saw, saw in that first iron man movie because we really didn't know then see so yeah i mean you, you can't expect that they plan the entire thing out from start to finish before they film the first movie they really were just throwing stuff against the wall with this movie and just a lot of it stuck and they were kind of stuck with it so
0: you know maybe Col- maybe colson was new yeah, To the group. And he's like a stickler for details. So he keeps telling everybody he's working for this long, drawn out name. And finally they're like, Colson, we're going to dock your pay unless you start calling us Shield. <laughs> and then he said, OK, fine. I'll start calling it Shield.
2: There's your no prize. Good job. There you go.
0: There you go. Just made the that. Thing
1: is, I could totally see Phil doing that. That, that. That's a Colson thing to do.
0: Yeah. He's very fastidious and he collects okay, trading so cards
1: and stuff. He does, yeah. Right, I have Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird thing is, is that he has, uh, Tony Stark has this big Malibu house and it's the one that Christine Everhart wakes up in. And, um, and then I completely forget about that setting. And so when we get to the third film and he gives out his address and that big, you know, same house is being blown up. I'm like, when did he get this really cool house? <laughs> no, it's, it's the same swank house. He's been in for three movies, John, and you're just dumb.
0: <laughs> Where was he in? In uh, Iron Man Two, I was going to call it Tony Stark Two just now on accident. Um, <laughs> Might as well. Where be. was he? In, where was he living in Iron Man Two?
2: Wasn't it the same house? Because that's where they have the fight with War Machine and the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Thing. Yeah.
1: I guess it was the same one. I just they just weren't. In I don't it very know much. if we got the same cool outside shot that we got in the first and the third one. Yeah. But um, it was probably the same place. I think that's right. And uh, let's see. Okay, so in my notes, um. I had some things about the origin story. We already talked about it some, but there's one thing I need to bring out And that. So movie Iron Man was my first Iron Man. And then I read comics Iron Man. So whenever he gets shot or not shot, but the shrapnel hits him from his explosive and, uh, Yinsen who's delightful, by the way, absolutely loved Yinsen in this film, but Yinsen puts the magnet in his chest to keep the shrapnel from entering his heart. And I'm like, mm. okay, we're going to keep the shrapnel somehow. You know, it's like, magnetically holding it in the blood vessels not letting it enter the heart great that makes sense awesome then you get to the comics and in the original comics Hmm. the device in his chest plate keeps his heart beating Mm -hmm. with shrapnel in it like your heart has been mortally wounded but this device will keep it beating and that sounds really painful and and bad
2: yes Yeah, I never understood that. I I read Iron Man for years as a kid, and I never really understood. All, All I knew and all you really needed to know was he has a heart condition. He could die at any moment. And his armor not only makes him one of the most powerful beings on Earth, it also keeps him from just dropping freaking dead at any moment. So, I mean, it's really the ultimate kryptonite. You know, I mean, that's what Stan Lee was all about. Stan Lee was all about the same thing as Superman with kryptonite. He was all about coming up with a character that could be really, really powerful, but also had that vulnerability, that, that Achilles heel. And... All you really withstand it didn't have to make scientific sense as long as it was kind of a plausible reason for things to happen. And so he, mm-hmm. so yeah, so he, he had a heart condition and the chest plate kept his heart beating and you just you went with it, <laughs> you just go with it. And he took
0: it even further than Superman because even with kryptonite, it's still good to be Superman most of the time in the yeah. Silver Age anyway. Yeah, like with Tony and the Thing and various other characters, it's like it's almost bad luck yeah. that you're. You're a superhero
2: sometimes. You're you're making the best of it a bad situation by being a superhero. Yeah,
1: yeah. What's it like to be a playboy when you're cock blocking yourself because you've got this armor on that you can't take (laughs) off? Right? I mean, at least Bruce Wayne can still get laid if he wants to.
2: He just doesn't want to because he's Bruce Wayne. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's the thing is that Tony – I've always said this. I'm glad you said that. Remind me. I've always said Tony Stark is Bruce Wayne without the act. Tony Stark really is the way Bruce Wayne pretends to be, and that's one of the reasons we love him. But he's also, in some ways, a more tragic figure, at least in the comics, than Bruce Wayne, because Bruce didn't have anything wrong with him except between the ears, really. Whereas Tony had physical disabilities that could kill him at any moment.
1: I forget who it was that first put the idea in my brain. I don't know if it was my daughter uh, reading a meme to me, or if it was maybe Marvel the Untold Story, or, or something put it in my brain that Tony Stark's original conception was everything that counterculture was at was against at the time? You had an establishment character, you had he was rich, yep, uh, he was war profiteering and, and weapons b- manufacturing, and um, and Facial all these- hair, <laughs> right? <laughs> right.
2: Well, he, he was Howard Hughes. I mean, that's the thing, he was Howard Hughes in the 60s, and yeah, that's not a character that people were really loving by then, you know, absolutely,
1: but they made him sympathetic. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, that's what, yeah, Stan Lee's saying, basically, I can make anybody sympathetic. I can take a war profiteering mun- munitions manufacturer during the Vietnam War and make you root for him. That's amazing.
1: We just got to get past the Cleopatra and um, Pharaoh, Mad Pharaoh stories first. That's all. <laughs> um, quick question. When does he get heart surgery and get fixed in the comics? <sighs> Several times. Do you know I when that think? happens? Because I know in modern comics, it doesn't actually need the suit. Yeah, oh. I want
2: to say the mid to late '80s, maybe by the early '90s for sure. There's, there's, there's multiple times, and well, he even gets like a, a an artificial heart. He gets a heart transplant, artificial heart, different stuff like that happens. So it's by the mid '80s to the end of the '80s. I'm I'm pretty confident this when it happened. I don't remember the exact issue though
1: is his heart like Xavier's legs? It comes and goes?
2: Yeah, kind of. I mean, like I said there was a heart transplant, there was an artificial heart. Uh, he for a while he was like a tele telecontrolling from a wheelchair, he was paralyzed. They they threw a whole lot of crap at Tony over the over those years and I didn't read all of it either. So I was kind of out of the loop for a while cuz I was just getting like uh, you know. So mm-hmm. so um but yeah, they they just kept retconning it and changing it and changing it. And, no, this happened. Well, no, this happened. Yeah, but but yeah, eventually they did pretty much make his heart whatever, whether it's artificial or somebody else's or whatever. They finally did make it much stronger and better, so he wasn't you know hanging on death's door every issue anymore. Oh my gosh, I've got to plug my chest into the wall before I die. You know that that got kind of old after about a decade so or two.
1: It's such an iconic image of nineteen sixties Tony Stark though where he's like leaning against the wall, sitting on the floor, yeah. chest plate on, and there's a wire going a from wire into the wall.
2: to wall. Plugged him in, yeah. Yeah. He's like your iPhone is running down and you're like, Oh gosh, I gotta plug in quick, quick.
1: <laughs> That's why I named my iPhone Tony Stark. Yeah. <laughs>
0: there you go. I gotta plug in Tony. He's
1: done. <laughs> and if you lose it, your heart gives out for a moment There's like, where'd my phone go? Yeah,
2: it would, yeah.
1: <laughs> um Okay, so Yinsen is a one-issue character. He is the Uncle Ben kind of uh, Iron Man. And, you know, I I I saw him in this film, and he's so eminently endearing from the beginning. Um, And I read the comics and saw that, oh, my gosh, the character was straight from the comics. But then as I've read that comic a few times and I was watching this again today, I realized that they put so much more into him in this movie to make him even more like emotionally connective. What'd y'all think about Jensen?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he's, he's a, he's a plot device, but they certainly made him a sympathetic one. And he's, and he's one more way. I mean, you know, part of his purpose is to show Tony, this is what you've done with your company and your your munitions manufacturing. I mean, the whole first half of the movie is about making him have to confront his responsibility and decide to do something about it. You know and then the second half of the movie is he therefore has to go up against stain because stain doesn't want to do anything about it because it's making him money so so yeah I mean he's a plot device but I think he's a very particularly well done one and very
0: sympathetic one well because they gave him they gave him a character that you know obviously the comic book didn't bother with like his family mm-hmm. being a pri- well he was a prisoner in the comic I did I did like that uh, um, in the movie, he's much more of just like an assistant to Tony's genius versus the comic, where pretty much he invents eighty percent of Iron Man's armor <laughs> for him, I think. And then, um, that's a good point. Uh, wow, I totally blanked on what I was going to say just now.
2: But that's a good <sighs> point. I mean, yeah, they do give him a lot yeah. more agency in the movie than he probably ever had in the in the comics. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's what I was going to say. What you're, I was going to comment on what you were talking about is like um, as a plot device to show Tony his wrongdoings. They don't do that in the comic at least the stuff we've read so far, you know, he, he, uh, you know, invents Iron Man armor. And then two issues later, he's inventing the industry, you know, the devastation ray or something like that for the army. So <laughs> there's no like uh, moral responsibility for him being a, a warmonger, at least in his initial origins. But I do like that. They throw that in the comic as a reason for him to become Iron Man.
1: Mm-hmm. Because that is a thing that they do eventually with him in the comics. If I, I haven't read the issues, but my understanding is that eventually Tony Stark realizes that making weapons is bad. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know I mean, roughly when that is?
2: Well, I can tell you that by the late '70s, he was pulling back his contracts with Shield to make weapons, and that was when they did the great. That was when they did that great uh, Michelini Layton storyline where. Um, there's probably around issue like 120, 125, somewhere in there, where um, S.H.I.E.L.D. basically tried to take over Stark International so that they could force them to make weapons for him because Tony didn't want to make weapons anymore. And so Tony basically goes to war with Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. over control of his company. That was a really good storyline. And it's exactly what you're talking about.
1: Okay yeah, I, I felt like I knew that that happened at some point. and they were just kind of like compacting storylines to make the narrative flow better for the film. Yeah. Um, and as as has been said in, in numerous discussions since the Iron Man movie franchise has started going, is that it, it's it's a little bit more difficult to find for Tony Stark your key story arcs that would really enshrine the character in the ways that Spider-Man or Batman has had over the decades. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that Tony Stark has, or Iron Man has, like, definite, these are his major stories?
2: Well, every, you know, the origin story should always be one of the big ones for any character, and and it is for him. But also, I think the the demon in a bottle is, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much the classic uh, Tony Stark Iron Man story because it was the first time that, that they made, you know, one of their major characters an alcoholic and showed the actual consequences of it. And he actually, you know, gives up the armor for a while a bit later on. So I mean that, that to me that's probably the number one Iron Man solo story because it's so involved in the character of Tony Stark. It's not just what can he do in the armor. In fact it's what does he do in the
0: armor when he's drunk, you know. So that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I feel like they were setting us up for that storyline with one and two. Because he was doing a lot of drinking in one, designing the armor. Yeah, and he was doing a lot more drinking in the armor in number two, and then it sort of was just done. And I don't know if, like off off camera, he he sobered up or well, because I don't I can't recall him drinking anymore after Iron Man two. Here here's that doesn't mean he doesn't. I can tell you what I remember reading about it or hearing about it, and that
2: was they said that when they did Iron Man two, they wanted to kind of allude to it but not go too far. Because they felt like that just wasn't something people wanted to see in a fun Iron Man movie. So they wanted to do just enough of it that you'd be like, okay, he's, he's, he's drinking and now he's not. But they never just addressed it head on. The, the closest they came was in Iron Man 2 when he and Rhodey are fighting in his house. Yeah. And, that's a, yeah. and once they got to that, they kind of said, all right, we've, we've done what we needed to do with it. And now let's just kind of move on. So, and I'm kind of glad they did because we didn't need any more than that, I didn't think. Yeah,
0: he was too busy having a nervous breakdown in three anyway to yeah. also have a drinking problem. So that's, that's true. It's much easier to just go that way. Yeah, that's true.
1: Well, while we're in um, in origin territory, maybe it's a good time to talk about the ten rings
3: because okay.
1: that was one of the uh, as we were moving into the film, one of the mysterious elements of the marketing was that we were going to get the ten rings in somehow, some way. And I remember there being rumors that Faran Tahir's character was going to be related to or be some version of the mandarin mm-hmm. and that didn't turn out to be true or at least if if they were trying to do it like metaphorically it wasn't obvious enough to me that that was the mandarin it was but but they did say that this organization um was called the 10 rings they said that in the first film so um what were some i mean especially you as an Iron Man fan, were you looking forward to the Mandarin? Were you thinking this was like laying plot seeds for the future? What were your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, you, you have no idea the, uh, the ant bed you have just kicked over here because, <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs>
2: Think about this. The Mandarin is Iron Man's number one arch enemy as a solo character. And so they couldn't possibly do three Iron Man solo movies without having the Mandarin at some point. The problem was that Marvel started, I think, getting a little antsy about the character because, you know, as you saw with the ancient one in the Doctor Strange movie, among other characters, they they don't want to... I mean, it's perfectly fine that they don't want to be too stereotypical and they don't want to do things that are offensive, and that's wonderful. I totally agree, but the... the but I used to have such arguments with people because they'd say it's impossible to do the Mandarin unless you do him as a completely offensive stereotypical character. And I'm like, no, you just make him a modern Chinese businessman in a suit and tie and a skyscraper in Shanghai or Hong Kong, and he's using his wealth and power to send out, you know, an army of super flunkies to fight Iron Man, and then Iron Man works his way to the, to the boss, you know. That's all you have to do. You don't have to make him a ridicule character or a silly stereotypical character and so um by the time they got to iron man 3 they still hadn't you know they still hadn't used him up until then and and i saw ben kingsley and i thought okay well this is how you do it he's not a he's not a chinese actor he's a a a, an indian slash british actor that's that's fine that's kind of like using a white woman as a chinese man in dr strange you know that's okay fine you know just blend it all up it's fine um but And so I thought that the Mandarin in the third movie was great right up until it wasn't, it wasn't him. And then I wanted to throw my shoes at the theater screen and walk out. And I've never forgiven that movie. And I hate Iron Man 3 with a burning passion. How's that? So, <laughs> like I said, you didn't know what, you were, what button you were pushing there with a the Mandarin,
0: boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> we know. We know. Okay. We've all read those reviews. <laughs> okay
1: and it, it, it's 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 not an uncommon opinion um i think that i'm a little bit in the um i don't think the word op-ed is right but i'm certainly um in a minority camp in my opinions on the uh on the iron man 3 film and the use of the mandarin there and that's fine i'm used I, to having i like
0: it too but oh, okay uh, but i will tell you that if they made the Red Skull, a drunken buffoon who wasn't really the Red Skull, I'd probably be really annoyed too. Exactly. I mean, that's
2: exactly my point. I said, just think if, if you waited three movies for Batman to fight the Joker, and when the Joker comes out, they did with him what they did with the Mandarin in Iron Man 3, and then tell me you'd be okay with that, you know. And mm-hmm. no Batman fan would be happy with that. And the whole attitude was, well, that's okay because it's just Iron Man, it's just the Mandarin. You should just get over it. I'm like, I don't want to. If it was the Joker, I wouldn't get over it. If I was a Batman fan, if it, you know, why should I? Superman fans certainly weren't happy about Lex Luthor in, in Superman vs Batman. So why do I have to be quiet? You know, why do I have to just swallow it because it's just Iron Man? I, I mean, that's to me, that's very. Annoying and offensive, and it makes me very angry. I I've had shouting matches at Dragon Con with people that were telling me that, and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just let it go because just because it's not a character that's important to you doesn't mean it's not a character that's important to me.
1: Well, that is, um, and that is fine. That is fine. It's it's, it's not an unexpected anthill. Um, <laughs> I just remember that in the first film, like that sense of anticipation of what we would get later, mm-hmm. and and it was a bit of a, I, I an emotional. Mental process to to figure out how I felt about Iron Man three. It was not initially because I was expecting the same thing you were expecting. I was expecting mm. the Mandarin. Yeah. Um, but anyways,
0: um, I I don't think I caught that that guy in the first movie was supposed to be the Mandarin because I think it was just one of those things where I was reading Easter eggs about the movie after the fact, going oh,
1: I think it was more skins. of a. Like, Yeah, I think it was more of a speculation beforehand than it was that actual thing in the film. Kind of like we thought it was going to be the Crimson Dynamo in Iron Man 2, and it wasn't. It was...
0: Yeah.
2: Whiplash. Whiplash. Right. Yeah, they Mm kind of combined the Crimson Dynamo and Whiplash and made him into a whole other third thing, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, there was a really cute scene with the heart swap with Pepper pulling out his fake heart and putting in another fake heart (laughs) and him almost dying. And, um, I, 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 cheese you not. I was watching that in the film with no clue whatsoever how they were doing. Like, was it completely CGI or what with the heart replacement in that chair? It wasn't until seeing it in home video that I realized his entire body. There was a prosthesis. And it's just his head on top uh, talking to uh,
2: Pepper. I didn't realize that at all interesting
1: they they do a really good job of of covering up the movie magic because after it's all said and done, there's another shot from another angle where he sits up.
0: It, they just went old school alien because that's how they did it with the alien bursting out of the guy's chest too that's
1: yeah, cool. <clears throat> so it was it was pretty, but he's like, you know I, I don't I don't have anyone but you. And I think like you were saying earlier, van instead of instead of the secretary or assistant or whatever mooning over the boss which would be a very sixties trope. Mm. It's the boss realizing he's in love with this woman who does everything for him. Yes. He's completely dependent upon her and loves her.
0: Yes. That's I agree. <laughs> and if I were Van I would totally have that proof that Tony Hart Tony Stark has a heart prop. I don't know. No pressure.
3: <laughs>
0: you should have that. You can get it on Etsy, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um Rhodes, James Rhodes. The um,
3: first
1: one. Yeah, yeah the, um, um, the Howard one, not the Cheadle one. Right. <laughs> now, I liked Howard in this role, but I was thinking about it as I was watching it this time that like, I feel like he played the role a bit more boyish and easygoing than necessarily it was written. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Cheadle would have taken the exact same script and played it more like he does in 2 and 3. And so you get a lot more of that intensity in 2 and 3 that I think is good for the character, at least what I've read of the character. What do you all think?
0: Well, if you've seen any Howard movies prior to that movie, he plays every role exactly how you just described (laughs) him playing this role. So, (laughs) yeah. I mean, he always comes off as sort of laid back and underplaying whatever it is he's doing. So, I don't know. In a way, I'm glad they replaced it. I also sort of hate when actors get replaced you know, soap opera style. But what are you going to do? You know, just get over it. I um, think Cheadle's a better actor. I like. I I personally prefer Cheadle as a as an actor. So in a way, I guess we upgraded. But
2: I what do you um, think it? I th- I think that it's a case of the same thing that happened with in Doctor No in the James, first James Bond movie. In the first James Bond movie, Doctor No, they had Jack Lord playing you know, second banana Felix Leiter, the CIA agent that helps Bond in a lot of the movies. Mm-hmm. And, and Jack Lord is so cool and so awesome that he almost upstaged Connery. And so if, if you go back and look at the early Connery movies, in the second one, they have downgraded the role of Felix <laughs> to like a schlubby guy in a hat because they yeah. don't want him to upstage James, right? And it's the same thing here. I mean, I think that uh, Don Cheadle is a good second banana, Whereas um, Gooding was like trying to be on a par with Tony and that just wasn't his job. So he was too cool for the role (laughs) in a way, you know, the the quality of his acting aside, he was just being, he was very charismatic. You know, he's a charismatic actor, whether he can act or not. And so I think they feel like they kind of had to get somebody that was, and and I know that it wasn't the main reason, but I think it ultimately had the same effect. You know, I mean, the reason was he wanted too much money, but same um, with Jack Lord. (laughs) <laughs> well, there you go. But I mean, but cool. I think it. I think it ultimately worked out in both cases because you don't want your second banana to be showing up your star, you know,
1: unless it's Doctor Who. I'm kind of OK with the with the companion showing up the doctor, but that's just me. <laughs> um, OK, so, yeah, that's that's cool. And I, I feel like the one scene that I'm not sure that Cheadle would have been as successful with is the drunk on the plane scene with the uh, the dancing uh, flight attendants. They end up making mm-hmm. out with later in the deleted scenes. Um, but, but you know, Terrence Howard is so just like all over Tony with his emotions in that scene. And I don't, I don't think Cheetah would be able to let his hair down like that, so to speak.
0: Yeah. I don't, that was the fun V
1: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. That was good stuff.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, just looking through, see what else we got here. He finally, uh, gets his costume, his, 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 uh, beginnings of his armor together. He does, the test flight on the video camera and dummies there to hose him down. And I remember that, that test flight footage where he's like flying in the car park that was released before the film. That was like one of the marketing campaigns was that cause it has like a found footage or documentary style feel to it. And they released it as like documentary style footage of Iron Man,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which I thought was a pretty cool choice. I remember being excited about, Oh look, he can fly.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's true. I showed that at Dragon Con that year and man, at the at, when we did our big Marvel DC Jeopardy and the crowd went bananas. That was when I knew that that, you know, this was going to work is that Iron Man got the people that excited cuz you know, like I say, he was not that big until this movie and when people are that excited, you're like, "Okay, this is a good
0: sign, <laughs> there was just like i think it was entertainment one of those magazines there was just a big full-on like poster-sized cover shot of his armor before the movie came out that Mm. was the coolest thing i ever saw because you know we don't even know what his armor is going to look like when when you know they're first talking about iron man movies and it could have went anyway and so yeah i kind of had good feelings about the movie just seeing that picture yeah
1: and Uh, and the armor design they did choose has just such a classic feel to it like that it looks like standard. This is what my mind thinks of when I think of Iron Man kind of armor.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a later movie. I don't know if it's the Avengers or Iron Man Two or one of those where there's a scene of a little kid in an Iron Man mask. Iron Man Two. And it has since been said that that's young Peter. And uh, I. Wow. Uh, young Young Peter Parker. At least that's hmm. that's either unofficial or official been said, you know, off, off panel that that's, that's a young Peter Parker. And whenever he was doing his first flight, he's out there flying around and he goes and he sees from a long distance, the kids on the, on the Ferris wheel and the boys licking his ice cream, and the ice cream falls off. I want that to be Peter too. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, why not? Right? No reason it couldn't be. Ice cream boy is not Peter Parker in my head. (laughs) That's sure. Why not? Um, Okay. I thought it was so cool the first time that the machines put his suit on for him, the automated yes. suit up with the, with the, with the, like the factory tools coming in and putting his suit on for him. that was so neat.
2: Yes, it was. That's really that. Cause that's not something we ever really saw in the, in the comics. You know, it was always him just putting it on. And I like the idea that because everything is, a, is, is automated, he'd have a machine, have machines that would do that too. I mean, and it, and it, I don't remember if he still does that much later in the movies but the first couple doing that it was it was really neat absolutely
0: cuz in the comic you know his classic orange and red or even before that like we joked about like all the yellow parts were foldable um so he'd put on like the gloves and the boots and the chest and then like the yellow parts would sort of like just get pulled down by magnets or something like that. So it was always like yeah. fabricy. And in this movie, like of course everything head to toe was metal. So yeah, it makes a lot more sense that he'd have some sort of automated process to get in and out of that thing. Yeah.
2: Well, and remember this is this is the Eddie Granoff armor that was designed by the, you know the story about that right that that um, you know about the about what about 2003 2004 2005 somewhere in there, Eddie uh, Granoff the European artist started. Doing those paintings of Iron Man, looking you know like a metal statue, not just a, mm-hmm. a cartoon character, and um, to me looking more like Ultron, by the way. But okay, and yeah, then, yeah. And so when uh, when Favreau was putting together the team to work on it, I think that Granoff contacted him and said, "Hey, do you want me to help?" And he's like, "Well, who are you?" And he's like, "Well, I'm the guy that did this," and 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 Favreau's like. Uh yes, come on now, and and so they they made the armor in the movies basically look exactly like Eddie Granoff's paintings.
1: And I think he was doing the covers um, for the Iron Man series that started with Extremis.
2: Yes, that's right. That's correct.
1: Um, and I, you're right. You're right. The the Iron Man we get in the film is the Iron Man from those covers, from that artwork, and yeah. that's the design and that's the aesthetic that we get. Absolutely, I love Eddie Granoff. Like. Yeah. He is the first modern artist that I got a name associated with because every single and he was doing lots of covers during the secret invasion era. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a really great um, green goblin cover for a Spider-Man issue around that time uh, the the scroll face, I don't know, lots and lots and lots of good stuff. Um I love Eddie Granoff. Yeah. I don't like um, him as
2: much on regular people, but he does a great mechanical look, you know
1: mm-hmm. No, I think it is really good regular people too. And he kind of has a, um, oh, well, I, made, I, yeah, actually, I'm not going to say that because I was going to start sounding objectifying. I don't want to do that. He um, but well, he does he, he nice women as well.
2: He makes Nova look great. I liked his Nova work oh, in, uh, yes. in that period, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would marry him, or at least marry his artwork, one or the other. <laughs> um, okay, so one of the cool things about all that um, automated Iron Man stuff is that, Tony Stark is interacting with it on it's all going on him and they completely cover up that they do such a great job of pulling the wool over your eyes and making you think that Iron Man armor actually exists (laughs) when it doesn't there's no Iron Man armor (laughs) like it's all computerized and that's fantastic because you don't realize it It all looks real there is Mark one armor I think I think there are some props of of Mark one armor I don't think there's a suit that anyone ever walked around in I think they were like no? for I don't know. I thought there was, but maybe I'm not remembering correctly. Maybe I, I'm willing to be wrong on that, but um, because the the, the, the the like uh, props or partial suits where they can do like close-up shots of something uh-huh. moving. that's not the full body. Right. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes whenever there's like damaged helmet and his helmet faceplate is up and you can see his face i think there's like a partial upper body portion that he can wear for that but generally speaking tony stark never wears iron man armor um
0: i wasn't really sure that's interesting i didn't know well mark ruffalo doesn't turn to the hulk either just, <laughs> just to wreck everybody's day
1: dang it
2: man you're shattering all my illusions
1: next thing you're gonna say is that thor's not actually calling lightning with that hammer
2: darn it shut shush it shush they
1: they just Um, wait for bad weather (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: that's good
1: so they go to golmira there's a big sort of moment of crisis that shifts us into the third act uh he goes to golmira and saves the village and um you're not just gonna
0: like go right past that part already because that's like the best part of the entire movie right there
1: (laughs) no that is it's like the big iron man scene i was know, the fate of abu bakar but yeah we could talk about the scene itself yeah my i just remember even in
0: the theater just how amazing that scene was and even to this day it's one of like maybe the top three superhero scenes in film saves in film you know it's pretty awesome it's really good
1: and he does the like the little individual targets of all the people uh, who are using human shields, and he shoots little rockets in all their faces.
0: Well, up until now, you see him, you know, he's developing the armor. He's having a lot of funny moments, like trying to figure out how to fly and not catch on fire and not break his cars and all that stuff. And then <laughs> he just, first of all, they're splitting kids from their fathers, and they're going to make this father get shot in the head right in front of his son and his son screaming could It could not be the worst situation and then you just hear that rocket and he just lands and the first thing he does is punch a dude and the guy goes like flying up onto the roof and falls through the thing or whatever and then he just shoots two dudes with the repulsors and then like people get taken hostage and like his his uh sensors we could see him like individually targeting those dudes and then he kills them with his shoulder missiles and yeah it was just like the most amazing scene ever it really was really good
1: and that's also where we get the first like superhero landing, the big dramatic iron man on a fist and one knee landing yes. that does not make any sort of physics sense whatsoever, but is really cool looking.
0: <laughs> yeah. That Deadpool then makes fun of later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the one. <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, the, the guy who had him in the cave earlier, Abu Bakr, who was like, you know, I'll promise to let you go. And he's and like, no, he won't. And he says, no, he won't. Um, they turn him over to the villagers at the end of that scene. And that is such a classic comics ending. Like, we've read that ending in the, some of the stories we've done where he's like, here's the bad guy. You've been harassing people. Now the people get a hold of you.
0: Okay. So, Van, mm-hmm. Iron Man fan, mm-hmm. lifelong Iron Man fan. Absolutely. John and I have talked about this before when we talked about the origin. What do you think of the fact that he straight up just killed everybody in that scene? Like, did that bother you at all? Did you even think about it?
2: No, it never really occurred to me or bothered me just because, like I say, this is a reinvented Tony Stark anyway. So even if Tony had ever had some kind of code about killing, this is a different Tony. And then on top of that, I don't think he ever did. So, And plus, these people were so horrible that when you add all that together, honestly, it it just went under my radar. I never had a problem with it.
0: Yeah, me neither. I I never thought about it.
2: Maybe I should have, but, you know, in retrospect, (laughs) but uh, I had to be honest, I didn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, like a, it was a it was a non-issue for everybody. I think. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, he wasn't in Batman my, or anything. There was no pre-existing, long-standing, you know, code or anything. So, that I know of.
1: And he's a weapons monger. I mean, he's a weapons manufacturer. He he makes things to kill people with. He doesn't usually do the killing himself, but that's what he makes. Right. So it'd be weird to have a code against killing at this point. That's a good but, point. Um, yeah. <laughs> He'd be the biggest hypocrite in my on Earth. stories. I'm sorry. I keep on hearing a delay, and so I think uh, no one's talking. That I start talking. I don't mean to talk over you. What were you saying?
2: Oh, I just said he'd be the biggest hypocrite on earth if he if he had some kind of code against killing when he manufactures weapons. That's a good point. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, As far as fiction goes, I think a code against killing to the point where you're never willing to stop a a humanity-threatening force is is really kind of silly. So. Um, it, it didn't bother me at all that he took all those people out. It's, it's also not real, so that's okay. Um, but yeah, I loved, loved, loved that scene. And it, and it really, other than the flight in the night, that's Iron Man's first big scene. Well, mm-hmm. no, he had, he had the Mark One armor. It's his first big scene in the new armor.
0: Yeah, because that well, the flying scene was like a prototype. I mean, he wasn't even painted yet. You know? right. So this is it.
2: Well, you mentioned at the beginning that you see you don't see a lot of Iron Man in this movie. And it's true. The the thing is that the the, the the occasions where you actually do see him in this movie are so great that you kind of forget he's not as Iron Man in this movie a lot. They really kinda of, it's almost like it would have cost a fortune and they didn't want to spend, they didn't have that much money for the first movie and they they kind of wrote the script so that he just becomes Iron Man like what, two or three, four times maybe for any
0: length of time at all. And yet, you know, mm-hmm. Downey Downey is so entertaining, none of us cared. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because even the off, even the off-screen parts were good were great. Yeah, that's
1: right. Um, so we go on to the um well there's the there's the part with oh we, we haven't talked about stain. Okay, so Obadiah Stain, I'm I'm at the part of my notes where um Pepper goes to Stain's office to get the information off his hard drive, and that's where we find out that Stain's in on it that he's actually the one who caused the entire thing at the beginning of the film to happen. Yeah. He put a hit out on on Tony Stark. So um, I don't know a lot about Stan. I know that his son has been a threat in more recent years. Was Obadiah Stane a recurring threat or was he like a single big arc and then gone kind of character?
2: I think he was a big, big arc and then gone. He was, um, he was never a friend of Tony. He he was a rival who basically bought up and took over the company when Tony got drunk the second time and dropped out of things, if I remember correctly. And uh, it wasn't my favorite storyline ever, and it was very dragged out, and I kind of lost interest in it most of the way through. Um, because it came right after the, the Michelini and Leighton run. It was like the next big storyline after they left, and it just wasn't as quality of a story and it wasn't as well done. The art wasn't as good. The writing wasn't as good, in my opinion. And so, but yeah, I think that was the only time he ever really appeared. He And and the thing was, even it was kind of a rehash of two previous stories because Tony was an alcoholic again, like in Demon in a Bottle, when he we thought he'd kind of put that behind him. And it was a rehash of the Midas storyline from, from issues like 97 to, or 98 to about 105, where where Midas took over Stark International as a bad guy and was running the company, and Tony had to come back and, and fight him to take it over. So um, it was not a great storyline. I was kind of surprised to see him being the, the villain in this movie, but I, the more I thought about it, the more it kind of made sense because you could make him have a pre-existing connection to Tony, and they love in the first movies to make the villain an evil version of the hero. Right, mm-hmm. Loki is Thor, Green Goblin and Spider Man, Abomination and Hulk. You know, you've always got the counterpart that does the same thing. So you needed an armored guy for this movie, and they made it Stain And that's so you know, I was not overwhelmed with that, but I understood the the rationale for it.
1: Yeah, him in the armor is actually one thing I, I still have a hard time buying into. Like, once he puts on that armor, he becomes a cartoon, and it's 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 kind of hard for me to swallow. <laughs> Well, Jeff
0: Bridges is awesome. I like Jeff Bridges. I could watch pretty much any movie with him in it and at least be entertained by him. So in that sense, I liked the character. But you're right, like the last act of this movie is where I wouldn't say it falls apart because it's still entertaining, but there are things that make me question the actions of Stain in particular. So
1: Well he becomes he becomes a pun bot. Like like he, what is what is his plan, you know? Mm-hmm. To to kill Tony and take over? but but then he's committed murder like yeah
0: he's doing it in front of everybody and he's never going to get away with it so what is his other plan to just steal the suit and and i don't even know like Mm -hmm. up until the point where he where pepper catches him in the suit with the shield agents he's doing kind of okay Mm -hmm. you know kill tony take over the company yeah that makes sense steal the technology but then maybe it's because they just catch him at with his pants down and he doesn't know what to do. So all he can think of is to get in the suit and just start killing everybody. But by that point, he's so public and on the news and you know, everything like there's no way he could just get away with it anymore. Mm -hmm. So, so what is the goal?
2: I got the impression
0: that they were just
2: trying to say, yeah, like you said, they kind of got him up against the wall and he just goes crazy and is like, well, if I'm going out, I'm going to, you know, woohoo, you know, take everybody out or something. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was very vague. It, It never made a lot of sense. And and here's the other thing, too, that annoyed me is, um, though, again, I love the movie, but still there, you know, we can nitpick a little bit that the big Marvel thing now is and has been from the start is there's going to be some gimmick that saves the day at the end and you have to introduce it earlier in the movie so that it doesn't just show up randomly at the end. And, you know, in in like the Ant-Man movie, it's the quantum dimension or whatever. And and there's all these different ones. And in this one, it was the icing thing. And when they did the icing thing, if you're paying real attention, you'd be like, oh, okay, why was there a need for that? I guess because they're going to do something with it later. So I didn't catch it then, but in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I should have realized that that was going to be important later because otherwise why waste time, you know, on screen dealing with the ice
0: thing? It was just kind of dumb, so... I, I like the ice thing though in the sense that anytime Tony goes up against another technologically advanced person, he often uses his intelligence, not just brute force to that's true to win. That's true. So it's like, How did you solve the icing problem? That's very Tony to me, you know? Um but then another thing they introduced, like you were saying, is the arc reactor, which is what he uses ultimately to save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that Marvel was doing at the anymore, but like The end of Spider-Man 1, his mask comes off so that we can have some Tobey Maguire money shots.
3: Um,
0: And then I noticed in this one, too, it's like we have to have an excuse for his helmet to fall off so he can be Robert Downey Jr. in the end as a hero instead of just a faceless Iron Man, you know? Yeah. Probably with Ghost Rider 2, I think Nicolas Cage was Nicolas Cage in the end of the first one. Was his hair still on Uh, fire? I don't even remember but I just felt like that was a big trope at the time like you know we're hiring these really expensive actors who are very famous and then we're covering their faces completely so in the end we have to come up with some way to have that mask fall off so that they can be the hero. Yeah. And they well, did that again with this movie.
2: You well you know when they were doing the first Spider-Man they even talked about having his mask be partly transparent so you could always see his face. So yeah, that's exactly. They always want to kind of get past the mask at the most emotional parts of each of these stories so you can see the face for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I can I see that from an I haven't noticed it lately. View. Right. Well, a lot of our films lately have been with unmasked heroes. Dr. Strange had no mask. Um, but I don't, I don't think Black Panther's wearing his panther mask at the end in, in the last act of that film. Ooh, um,
0: Winter Soldier, Cap takes his helmet off,
1: right? Yeah, okay, I think so Spider Man's on the entire adventure with no mask. I think he loses it like while they're boarding the. And I'm talking about on the um on the Infinity War movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, there's lot lots of maskless maskless superheroing, which you know I guess is who cares, a
3: thing. yeah.
1: Um, all right, well I'm running out of notes. I did like the part where um, you know he gets paralyzed and he has to go and get his other heart thing. And then his other heart thing has power, his other, his armor. And I felt like that was bringing in a couple of tropes, like in the, in the mid to late sixties, when he would have occasionally his armor would get taken. So he had to go and wear the old clunky armor. And also, mm-hmm. um, it has a feeling of that. What we were talking about earlier, the need to charge his chest plate. Like he, he has to go in and just sit for a while and repower because he doesn't have enough power. I felt like they kind of combined both those ideas into this this scene that was pretty cool.
0: Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely a thing that happens in Iron Man comics a lot where he has to regress to an older armor because the new one ends up being faulty or possessed or something like that.
1: Did yeah. you just say that happens uh kind of frequently? Yeah, well there's
2: I mean I mean, you know, the one that jumps immediately in my mind is is in Iron Man 100, it was like the big anniversary issue and he fights the Mandarin and the, um, uh, oh, the, what do you call the green-armored the green guys that the Irish guys had that drove them crazy? Oh, shoot, I can't think. Well, anyway, the... the sentinels, Sentinels. No, no, that wasn't it. Those were no. purple robots. Anyway, there's uh-huh. these, he makes these green suits of armor, and they guard like a prison or something later. But anyway, the, uh, one of the O'Brien brothers steals his brand-new super-cool Iron Man armor and goes off to fight the Mandarin instead, and the Mandarin defeats him. And so, at the end of issue 99, Tony puts on the old Cattier pointed mask armor, you know, and he—it's not nearly as powerful—and he goes off to fight the Mandarin in issue 100 in that. So he's—he's he's putting on armor he knows is obsolete and not nearly as powerful, and going off to fight his greatest enemy in his big anniversary issue. And they, yeah, so they did stuff like that every so often, and it was very effective. I like that a lot. That's,
1: that, that's the Ditko armor. That's that's yes. That's, that's actually the next story that we're going to be recording about in Iron Man is the one where uh, he gets that armor when he's fighting Mr. Doll. So, um, okay. yeah.
0: And those those green guys were called the Guardsmen, by the way.
1: Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I've heard of the Guardsmen.
0: Yeah. And I only remember that because you said they went later guarding something. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, guarding. The Guardsmen, guardsmen.
2: armor. Yeah, it, it drove the people crazy that wore it, made them psychotic or whatever. That's why it never really caught on. I guess they must have fixed it later. But, yeah, it, it, that's why he – one of his friends, he made it for his friend, and his friend went crazy wearing it and fought him, and they were a big battle. So that's, yeah, one of the O'Briens.
1: Well, um, everything goes more or less well in the fight. Um, Tony does really good laying half-dead in my armor. Um, <laughs> he does that shot in a lot of movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and at the end of it, whenever he uh, is talking about, you know, like I'm some sort of superhero. And Christine's like, I never said you were a superhero. Uh, you didn't? <laughs> in, in, in a world where Iron Man is the first superhero, that line feels kind of weird. But in a world that has since been retconned a bit and we've had like the Ant-Man and the Wasp in previous generations and Captain America and back in the back of the past, that feels like, oh, yeah, superheroes are a thing. They're just not a common thing.
0: <laughs> so what are you said earlier that that was an ad lib that he he um, outed himself as Iron Man. I never knew that.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He he was supposed to say something completely different, and and um, the Downey, truth is, huh? And then he says, yeah. So he I, starts with the truth is, and he was supposed to say something else. Something else. I don't remember what. And then Downey just ad libbed, "I am Iron Man," and it it the 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 people there liked it. The test audiences liked it, and they said, "Let's just keep it." Because, yeah, that's he was great. supposed to have a secret identity going on into the next couple of movies, and they just said, screw it, he's just such a great character, you know, Downey as Iron Man, and plus it set up the second Iron Man movie really well, because now they're trying to get the Iron Man armor away from Tony, and he's sitting there all smug because he's Iron Man, you know, so yeah, it worked really well, I thought.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great direction, because I think John and I have talked about how, like, Marvel is way less about secret identities than DC.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, so it's just it's fine. I don't know. It's never bothered me. Cuz I mean right now he's in public anyway. Was he in public before this movie in the comics?
1: Yeah, off and on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: I don't know. There, I, if I remember deal. right there were a couple times where he revealed his identity and then had to put it back in the bottle somehow.
2: Yes. There was one time like the entire world forgot or something, which is kind of silly, <laughs> but but yes, they did that. Convenient. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it could have been that he went to Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Strange and had them combine the utmost powers of science and magic (laughs) to make all of the world forget that he was Iron Man, except unless he specifically reveals it to them. And that would be a storyline that went on for 10 years. I mean, it could have been that, but
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, honestly. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but then we have to call him Peter Parker. But, um, oh, boy. so it's interesting that he ad-libbed that I am Iron Man. Cause obviously would they would have had to rewrite the entire scene at the end of the film. It's a short scene, but with the Nick Fury, the whole well, thing is like, Oh yeah. But
0: agent Colson knew he was Iron Man. So shield already definitely knew regardless. Right. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how that played out, uh, but but yeah, I think... Because sure. Coulson gave him his fake story of the bodyguard thing that he didn't want to run with.
1: You're right. Coulson was right there the entire time.
0: Yeah. So, But yeah. Did, was anybody surprised that Nick Fury was in the end credits? Cause yes! I didn't, know, I, didn't, I didn't know if that was supposed to be public knowledge or not, but I sure didn't know.
2: I didn't know. I feel like I heard... I had it spoiled, but I can't remember now. Maybe. But I wasn't surprised, because if you're going to do the Avengers... And back then we were pretty sure that the Avengers would be like the ultimates, you know, or more ultimates mm-hmm. than Avengers. Then you gotta have the the Samuel Jackson Nick Fury played by Samuel Jackson as <laughs> show up and actually be Nick Fury. That's some yeah. meta stuff right there. You have you have Nick Fury in the comics as looking like Samuel Jackson and then you have the Samuel Jackson from the comics Nick Fury played by Samuel
0: Jackson. It's like who else is gonna uh, play I, him, you know? I've heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that they asked permission to use his likeness, and he agreed to it for free because he thought someday if they make a movie about this, they'll have to cast me. They'll have
2: to.
1: That's really smart. If that's the. Tr- if that's true. Yeah. I don't know
0: if he was just saying that in hindsight as a joke, or if that was really what happened. But
1: well, yeah, know, I think it's either Hitch or Finch. I always get him confused. One of the whoever did Illustrated Ultimates did ask Hitch. to use him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, Hitch. Uh, but, uh, cause ultimate Nick Fury had had a couple of previous appearances and he just came off looking like James Bond, um, black, mm, right. but you know, they had the James Bond aesthetic to him.
0: Yeah. Was he black? I thought there, the earlier, appearances um, he was just straight yeah,
1: up. I don't remember specifically whether I knew going in to see the movie, hmm. if it was going to be, um, an extra scene at the end or the Avengers thing at the end or what I did stay the first time I saw it, but I've been doing that to most movies ever since Wayne's world. I always, when I go see a movie, I always think that maybe they're going to put something comedic at the end of the credits. And so I stay for most movies anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my whole life I've stayed till the end credits just to be obnoxious, I guess, <laughs> with anybody that I, that goes to me, goes with me doing a movie and they're always like, can't we just leave now? It's like I always want to just get my full money's worth and finish the music and be done, let the lights right. come up. And now it's really paying off because now everybody has to do it, so haha. <laughs> ha. ha.
2: That's funny. You know, the other funny thing about that is that Cuba Gooding Jr. They said that he said the number one reason he took the role of Rhodey was so he could be War Machine, and he didn't get to be
1: War Machine.
2: <laughs> oh, that was pretty. Funny.
1: Yeah, because he's got that next time, baby mm-hmm. line. Yeah, and it doesn't, which which was exciting to see, right? Because we all know who we know what a War Machine is, and and yeah, um, and the one that he's looking at is all silver, you know, chrome colored. It's mm-hmm. not painted metal; it's just metal. So it looks like War Machine armor. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when uh, when Iron Man came out, Hulk, we knew, was only a couple months away. But I don't think anything had leaked about the plan to do Avengers films until this movie hit. And then you see that, it's like, the welcome to the Avenger Initiative, or I need to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative, and it's like, oh my gosh.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we weren't really sure. We didn't know what was coming. And so that was, I I probably screamed and jumped three feet out of my seat in the theater when they said that. Yes.
1: Well, I think we've reached the end of the film. So, um, what other kind of closing thoughts do we have? Um, Mike, why don't you go? And then we'll have our guests go.
0: Just that, you know, it was a great start. And then I think maybe, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but Hulk was a little lukewarm and Iron Man 2, I don't think had as big a reception, and you know thor and the first cap weren't my favorite either but they were good and the fact that they this kind of just you know created this thing where they actually got it all together and pulled off avengers with such success it's always just blown my mind we kind of take it for granted now because we're so many so many movies deep at this point but like man this was like the first time that they're creating like this comic universe on the big screen and it was just really fun ride. it was a really fun ride
2: yeah, it's it's like Marvel took all their incredible bad karma that they saved up over decades and cashed it all in for one, you know, to just tot- totally flip their fortunes around. They went from having the absolute worst adaptations to, to to the best, and it's really remarkable. People don't, you know, people today don't realize how bad Marvel stuff on TV and movies was up until maybe X-Men, you know. I guess Blade, but it, eh, it barely counts as Marvel to me. But but X Men. But um, yeah, I I still just pinch myself. I can't quite believe that this character that I loved since since the 70s, you know, that was a B list at best. Nobody even knew who he was. Nobody cared. And suddenly everybody's like Iron Man, Iron Man. I dropped my daughter at school, and you know, kids have got Iron Man shirts on. And you go in Target, and there's and Coles, and there's Iron Man stuff everywhere. And I, my head still to this day just spins. I'm like. I'm like if if I were, you know, 15 or 20 years old now, I would be buying all this stuff. My house would be full of Iron Man stuff. But I when it all started coming out, I had to just say, "All right, I'm going to get a couple of things and then just be good with that," you know. So I've got like I've got my I got a whole shelf behind me here of Iron Man teddy bears and helmets and figures and bobbleheads and Dr. Pepper cans. That's my little Iron Man shrine and I'm just I'm good with that. <laughs> but it's it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I never thought I'd see it
1: yeah it you know with all the uh, Marvel movies feeling so interconnected now, and always you know feeding into the overall plot, it's it's refreshing to go back and watch these earlier ones that you know for ninety nine point five percent of the film it's just a standalone film mm-hmm. doing its own thing with with nothing else going on. And then you get like a small moment of connection. Yep. It's like, oh, it's it's part of something bigger. And that's a really, really neat feeling um through the course of phase 2 and phase 3 there's been a lot more interconnectivity a lot more like you're not only going in to see a movie you're going in to see what's happening to further the thanos infinity gems or infinity stones plot and um you know and, and that's good it's just a different kind of good yeah and uh, this is refreshing to to just go back and see you know what it's just iron man doing his thing and you know tony stark finding out how to be a superhero and and the movie was a great start and here we are 10 years later 10 and a half years later at this point almost and um you know mike and i have this podcast going now as you know inspired by the 10 year anniversary and and we are we are cooking along mm-hmm. infinity war or whatever the avengers 4 movie is 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 coming out next spring and and it's exciting we might actually see this guy die though so i don't know van are you gonna be sad if he dies
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I've gotten way, 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 way more than I ever expected. So I can, <laughs> I can be at peace with whatever happens because I've, you know, I can't, I, I would be ridiculous to complain at this point about anything. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much for being here, Mr. Van Adam Plexico. I did a poor job of uh, introducing you at the beginning, but um, you, you've written a couple of books, Avengers Assemble, Uh, that are uh, documenting the history of the Avengers comic franchise, and you've written some novels. Talk a little bit about what you have out there on the shelves.
2: Well, the Assembled books are assembled and assembled to, and basically uh, a bunch of folks that we've all been together since like the 90s on the internet, back when it was mailing lists and stuff. We got together a couple of years ago and put together Assembled 1, which is about it's basically the history of the Avengers up to that point with a chapter on each era, like there's the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby chapter, there's the Roy Thomas chapter, there's the Kurt Busiek chapter, and George Perez and all that. It just talks about the history of the team, different writers each taking a, a, a period of history, and it's that's a really fun book. And then the se- uh, Assemble 2, we really focus on Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, and then on Ultron and Kang. So like the two big villains and the three big heroes, and we have a lot of chapters just going in there talking about them and looking at their uh, their histories and what motivates them and all. Um, my other books are just, like, I have a whole series of superhero novels. I have nine superhero novels called The Sentinels, uh, which are basically my version of the Avengers or the X-Men or the Justice League or whatever. It's a totally, you know, independent series, so characters can die and all kind of big things happen. Galactus type characters show up Have a crease Girl War. It's called The Sentinels, so um, among other books, that's the kind of thing that your listeners would probably be interested in. So if you just go to www.plexico.net P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net. net. You can see all my stuff right there.
1: Alright. Um, and Mike, um, I know that there's another episode that's on the feed right as this one is up there, but just in case they don't listen to that, tell everyone where they can find us.
0: You could find our specials and our regular episodes at makearsmarvel.com. There on the left side you'll find all the links you need to plug in our feed to your iPhone or your Android or play us through Google play or whatever. Um, and there's also a handy contact form you can use to write us a letter that will end up on our mailbag shows, or you can uh, just write us directly podcast at make ours, And um,
1: our next special, well, next month is October and venom comes out. So we might be doing uh, a special on venom next month. Yes. Um, and that wraps this up. If you have been thinking about writing an email to the show, you should do that because we're going to be coming up on our next email episode recording here in the next week or two. So if you, if you want to have your thoughts shared with hundreds, that's that's William hundreds. He's the guy who listens over in New York. Um, <laughs> then you should definitely write an email to what was the email address again, Mike? Cause my, my
0: podcast at makearsmarvel.com.
1: My memory and my speaking, evidently, are not very good. Okay, well, thank everyone for listening to this episode. And I guess go listen to our other episode that's up, and we'll see y'all next time.